importance of mentorship. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Faith Daniel. Since 2020, the number of Black medical students in the United States has spiked to approximately 21%. But according to the Association of Medical Colleges, only 5% of America's physicians identify as Black or African American. There is tremendous value in having diversity among not just physicians, but all healthcare workers. Studies show that there are better health outcomes and decreased infant mortality among rates among people of color when they are cared for by medical personnel that look like them. The death of George Floyd ignited a call for all institutions, including hospitals and healthcare centers, to place emphasis on diversity, inclusion, and equity as core aspects of their missions and values. Part of this effort is removing structural barriers and racist practices to Black and African Americans that create inequitable challenges in pursuing careers in healthcare. With me today to discuss the importance and benefits of mentorship for those interested in a career in healthcare are Dr. Jacqueline Witter, Vice President of Nursing, and Dr. Sarah Jamison, Emergency Medicine Physician. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you both so, so much for being here. Um, it is truly a treat. And I wanted to start off with Dr. Witter. I know that you did your doctoral research on mentorship, so I'd love to learn more about what inspired you to do um, research on mentorship and why is mentorship so important? Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I started to do mentorship, sadly, because the way I was treated as a brand new nurse. And I, I wanted to pave the way and to give back to the nursing profession and create a forum that nurses felt that they were nurtured, supported, and that they had someone to give them the guidance that they needed and for this movement to be started and started within the Black community. So my study, I did a, a quasi-experimental study in an inner city hospital and I had 50 new nurses in the medical surgical units and then I had 15 mentors that had five years and above. Now for the mentees they had to have three years and less to be in the program. So I developed a curriculum and I provided that training for the mentors in terms of the expectations what the things that we will need to focus on and also for the mentees for them to have that nurturing and that guidance that they needed in the world of nursing new nurses coming into the profession we provide them with cursory orientation what we call preceptorship but then afterwards you know you're kind of left on your own to fend other than getting the leadership guidance so i wanted to create that bridge i wanted to create a program that nurses could benefit from so that's mm -hmm. why i did my doctorate in mentorship Right. Yeah. And I know that doctors experience the same thing, especially doctors of color. And I know Dr. Jameson created this amazing initiative. It's called Summer Enrichment and Mentorship Program. Could you speak a little bit as well about what inspired you to do this? I'm sure there's like many similar sentiments to what Dr. Witter mentioned. Sure, absolutely. So Summer Enrichment and Mentorship Program is um, essentially a pipeline program for first year medical school students who are 
interested in emergency medicine. And the goal is to really increase physicians of color within the specialty of emergency medicine. And so um, I guess uh, the inspiration for it has come from a lot of different places, a lot of different experiences that I've had in my career thus far as a physician of color. When I was in med school myself, I participated in a similar program. So of course, that had a huge impact on um, the fact that I wanted to do it uh, as well. And so, um, yeah, it's been it's been a wonderful um, and very fulfilling program to be able to put together and see to have come into fruition. And I think that it's been very beneficial to the people who've participated in it so far. Mm-hmm. Right. And could we take a little step back? Because you both mentioned that it's it was because of experiences that you both had and that you didn't want other people to experience it. And for it really is trauma that people end up experiencing sometimes. And it's a result of like structural racism that they've experienced. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jamison, I want to start with you, if you don't mind kind of sharing a little bit about that personal experience um, and what it really inspired you. Yeah, well, I mean, like I mentioned, as a physician of colors, just honestly, the, the process of getting into medicine was a huge struggle from the beginning. And that's not a story that's unique to me. If you speak to many physicians of color, a lot of us have stories of having to take alternate routes to get into medicine. There are so many, as you mentioned before, systemic issues when it comes to testing, admissions, um, resources for the aforementioned that are just not um, equal. They're just not equal. For example, I'm the only, I'm the first and the only doctor in my family, right? And so when I'm sitting next to a person whose mother, father, brother-in-law, uncle, aunt, cousin are all doctors, right? They already know exactly what is necessary in terms of test preparation, interview preparation, the resources to be able to get to these interviews and take these tests, right? These are, these are, they're not reinventing the wheel, whereas so many physicians of color have the same story as I do of being the first and the only. And so we're constantly, unfortunately, having to reinvent the wheel, figure it out on our own, bump our heads, lots of trial and error. And that, like I said, is just trying to get into medical school. That doesn't even account for the experiences that a lot of us experience once we're once we're in it. So without taking too much time to harp on that, like I said, it's, it's just the disparity of being in that space when you're competing with other people who this is like, this is bread and butter, this is normal life to them, right? One, one small aspect, but a very important aspect is a family structure while in medical school, right? Uh, it's a very, very, very tough time. You need extreme focus. And so when you are, when you come from a family where there's a long legacy of uh, being in the medical profession, it's understood that if you say you have to study so you can't go to this graduation or this event, right? That's that's known and it's 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 fine. Whereas myself, I had to kind of get my family used to. They they didn't understand that no, I can't go to the barbecue, I can't go to the party, I can't, you know, there are certain family expectations that are on physicians and medical school students of color that may not be on others who, like I said, are used to the life that one has to take on to become a physician. So 
Yeah, that's very true. And I even think about the networking aspects when they're able to get internships and folks are able to get internships when their mom and dad Mm -hmm. may work for a university or may Mm -hmm. be a doctor. That is like kind of an unfair advantage for other folks that don't have like that network bandwidth. And even to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying about the application process, I mean, like, oh, that in itself is like a job. You know, you have to do informational interviews. A lot of people don't know that you need to have that mentorship. So it's so difficult. And I'm sure in nursing, um, it's very similar as well, especially around just having like that, having the family structure there, having Mm -hmm. the support there for when you're in school to have that focus. You know, some people also have to work, you know, because they're supporting their families. And when you're in Mm -hmm. medical school, that's not possible. Or when you're applying to medical school and prepping or for nursing school as well, it's not possible. I mean, like I'm in a master's program now. And, you know, even with this remote world, some of my (laughs) classmates have offices just for them to have class. And I'm like, my room is like my office, my class classroom and where I I sleep. So, you know, I, you know, a lot of people don't have that privilege. So Dr. Ritter, if you kind of want to share a little bit about the nursing student experience. Sure, sure. So thank you so much. So um, nursing was my second career. So when I got into nursing, you know, nursing, we are the most trusted profession, right? We're caring. However, my experience was not that. It was the opposite. I had a senior registered nurse, when I came to the floor on our ventilator, medical surgical ventilator floor, her first comments were, who does she think she is? I'm going to let her swim or drown. Now, in nursing, we are all, we are not all like that, but I'm sharing my personal experience. That shaped my thinking and my passion that I must do something about this. So I stayed on that floor. I worked with my colleagues and I got promoted within one year to be associate nursing care coordinator, but I had to work hard for it. But from that experience, I wanted to make a difference. And that's why I did that mentorship program. And just to share with you, after I completed my doctorate, I went back on the floor and I said, I guess I didn't swim. I guess I didn't drown, Mm -hmm. but I swam and here I am. So I take that to heart. The way we treat people, regardless of the profession, it stays with you, the way you're treated. And we must be careful, regardless of your profession, how you treat others. We must support, Mm -hmm. nurture, and foster that personal and professional growth that Mm -hmm. we're all entitled to. Yeah, that's so right. And I mean, like support is needed from all aspects. It's needed from our personal life. It's needed at the workplace too. We don't want to cause like more trauma, you know, at the workplace as well. And I think that that's something that many people experience from like microaggressions to just like blatantly, people blatantly being rude to you, like what you just shared um, with the like, you're gonna sink or swim kind of thing. How do you all think, and I know this is very much that you all like pretty much alluded to this, but how do you think that your Black identity has impacted your journey in medicine? And Dr. Witter, I'd love to start with you on this one. In the world of the Black community, we always say we have to work like what Dr. Jameson, we have to work harder. 
it's okay to work hard because we have that drive and that commitment to achieve what we want to achieve. However, as leaders, as professionals, we must give back to our community. And that is where I see a disconnect. We have leaders who have achieved all the great things in life, but we don't give back. And we ought to change that in the black community. We have to create the vision, provide that support, and then lead by example and have others follow us. Mm-hmm. For us, for myself, retirement is not too far-fetched. We want to have another leader to take over and carry on. So we must create, we must create that forum, and we must allow new nurses to grow, to flourish, and to help them as they go through their goals and their dreams. Mm -hmm. We ought to give back. And that's hard in the Black community. I agree. Yeah, it's like our responsibility to care for our community and to give back and to be those mentors and to be the role models that, you know, that we wanted growing up. Dr. Jameson, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I do agree that giving back is important. I feel, though, the responsibility at the, I, I think our community, we've done lots that of, of work. Um, in terms of trying to dismantle certain systems that have been in place. We really are not the ones who are able to dismantle systems that we did not build, if that makes Mm. sense. I think that the responsibility is not solely ours. There are certain um, obstacles, I guess, that have been put in our way. It's like somebody being in jail and they're expected to like free themselves, right? He is the one who can help the situations. I think we're doing as much as we can given the constraints of the, the system that we live in. Yeah, and, and allyship is so important. Alex, and I think that that's what you're alluding to is that like, you know, as people of color, like we have been impacted in very negatively from like the struggle from structural racism, from inequities that um, are have been like put in place. However, we do need allies. Um, so we do need our um, we do need folks that may not be a part of our communities to stand up for us as well, to speak for us as well, to create opportunities for us as well. Right. Uh, you know, just going back to the whole admissions process, right? Uh, just getting in the door. Uh-huh. You see you see huge disparities when it comes mm-hmm. to, for example, just test scores, right? Uh-huh. Traditionally, um, med students, black and brown med students have lower entrance exam scores, the MCAT, for example, lower entrance exam scores than their counterparts. And However, there are no studies that show that physicians of color are less skilled than mm-hmm. their counterparts, right? Mm-hmm. So, right? So that to me speaks of an issue. What's going on with the test, not with the mm-hmm. students? Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. And so we're not the ones who are implementing the testing. We're not the ones who are really the gatekeepers to these spaces. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be a, an overhaul, I think, of the gatekeeping. 
mm-hmm. not of those who of us who are trying to get in. Because as I mentioned, when you look at us, it, it's hard for us to get in. But once we're in, we succeed and excel. We thrive. Like, right. Just like anybody else. We're we're mm-hmm. not we're not comparably worse. And so I like I said, I think that more so speaks to again the, the gatekeeping and what exactly what needs to change, I think, are certain standards that have us automatically disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah, the gatekeeping huge, especially with how much it costs and the time. So it's like we're gonna spend like what six to seven years, we're gonna be like over six figures in debt. And, you know, then there's residency um, and then you're not making a lot. And it's a huge commitment and sacrifice. Dr. Jameson, how do you how do you comfort your like mentees or talk to them about like that process and how daunting it sounds? You know, it's like expensive. It's time consuming. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think that's what uh, Dr. Dr. Witter um, mentioned it earlier. That's where mentorship plays a part. Right. Just not necessarily, I think it's more an issue of teaching coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. teaching how to navigate certain things, certain nuances in different ways. You mentioned microaggressions a little while ago. That's, I guess for listeners who don't know exactly what that is, microaggressions are essentially um, like very covert, either racist, sexist, ageist uh, suggestions, I'll say that that are so, like I said, covert that it's not necessarily something you can call out, but it's there. Like assuming that every woman in a medical setting is a nurse or assuming that every man in a medical uh, setting is a doctor, right? That's a a microaggression. So one thing with, with mentorship, I think, is teaching us how to navigate these spaces while having to deal with certain certain issues that are inherent to being physicians of color, like I said, dealing with microaggressions. And then not just that, but also really, really providing, like I mentioned, those networks that you mentioned, it, uh, they, those, uh, the networking that's required. So, you know, not having to reinvent the wheel, not having to constantly start from scratch, um, being able to say, hey, you have your USMLE step one, you know, your, your board exams coming up. These are the steps that you should take to make sure you do so successfully, as opposed to leaving them on their own, not knowing because they don't know anyone who's done it before, and then watching them kind of like hit their head over and over. It's really a matter of saying, hey, like, let me hold your hand. And I, I know what works. I know it didn't work because I had to. I had to go through it. So now you don't have to because I'm passing on to you my experiences of, of triumph and, and trial. So I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest portions of the mentorship that's provided in the program, which I think is a great aspect of it. Yeah. And Dr. Witter, what do you say to your like first year nursing students that you meet when you're just like, you know, let me prep you on how this experience may go or how I can help you kind of like fix the or address the errors that I made so you don't make them? So um, for any new nurses coming in, the fear factor, the anxiety, a lot of times they don't have that clinical experience. So you're being trusted into an environment that now you're going to have to provide the care that's needed for patients. Some nurses might not have had the opportunity to to give an IM injection, Mm -hmm. right? Intramuscular injection. So we always have to remember the fear factors and giving that hand, lending that hand and creating that environment for new nurses to seek you out 
that they know that they can come to my office and this is a safe haven. They could cry. They could, not that I want people to cry. They could talk. <laughs> they could laugh. But we're here for them. Because, again, it's very frightening. I shared my experience as a new nurse. What was, you know, conveyed to me. That stayed with me for life. Mm -hmm. So, again, we must create that environment. So nurses feel they can be listened to. They can be supported. I have someone there for me. Mm -hmm. I have a backbone. Because mm -hmm. new nurses are scared. They're scared to escalate issues, to communicate, right? Because they were never trained that. They were never, you know, told that they have to do this. So they go into a survival mode. And if you're in a survival mode, right, fight, flight, what do you do? Sometimes you just give up and you leave out of your profession. So that's very important for new nurses who are coming in. We must set that environment, but we also must be truthful with mm -hmm. what we are doing and continue to nurture them as they go through their years in the hospital. And that's big for retaining nurses in hospital. Look what's happening with COVID-19. Talk about mentorship. Mentorship is real, it's needed. How many nurses say, I'm out of this profession. I don't wanna stay, all right? So it's important for us to put in the critical components for us to be here to listen and support our nurses. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned like that emphasis on transparency and allowing somebody to have the emotions that they have when they're terrified of doing something new. The anxieties that come, maybe anger, confusion, the tears, yeah. and the fact that you create a welcoming environment is so important. And it kind of makes me think about, so when you both, if you guys could put yourselves in the place of when you first started, could you recall of like any one person that you considered a mentor at the time that um, really their words stuck with you or there's something that they did or said that inspired you to kind of keep going? And um, Dr. Jamieson, I'll start with you. Sure. I mentioned at the top of the talk that I was involved in a program similar to the one that I've now created um, at St. Barnabas. So, you know, to say impact it's, you know, it's it's um, apparent. I had, well, I'll say this, my mentor, Dr. Robert Gore, he's the one who's actually started mm -hmm. the summer program at his hospital, which is Kings County, which is uh, where I went to medical school, SUNY Downtown. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And he actually, the first year that he created the program, I was um, in that very first cohort. And so the impression, like I said, is apparent, right? It's something that I participated in and helped me greatly because I was able to use not only him, but also the people in the department who also were involved with the program. I was able to use them as resources, not just uh, in medical school, but also, you know, throughout residency, um, even now as an attending who's, you know, five, six years out, I still am able to rely on these people for mentorship because mentorship is not just at the the entry level right it's something that is needed at all levels within it's lifelong mm -hmm. yeah absolutely lifelong mentorship and so like i said the impact is is you know I, I i can't even without words like the the evidence of the program the fact that it exists is because i was mentored in the way that i am now trying to mentor others as well so yeah mm -hmm. 
Oh, that makes me so happy. I actually had participated in a scholarship I got. It's called AEF and they connect us with a mentor and that I still talk to that mentor. It's been like 11 years now and he helped me get um, an internship. He helped support me through like college, graduate school. His name's Jesse Kahn. I'm going to send him this podcast. He was amazing. (laughs) And so like when I think about him and how he was able to hold my hand and like, especially with the application process, I think people underestimate that so much when you're going to go into higher education. And you're so right. There's so many, there's so much gate keeping that you almost have to try to figure out this puzzle on your own and so like I really that really stuck with me like just how much he helped me and so it's so lifelong and it's amazing how you can still think of and like say your mentor's name from years ago so that's amazing and Dr. Witter is there somebody that you kind of thought of um, from your first year in nursing? So I I'm from a large family and my sister she Back then, she was a supervisor. She was a nurse. She was my mentor. She has gone through the ropes. So she kind of helped to prepare me as much as she could. But she could not understand why I was having such a bad experience because her experience, of course, we all have different experiences regardless of the profession. So she was there to guide and to mentor me. So my sister, she was there for me. And still to this day, she's retired, but she's still there listening and and giving me the guidance and, and supporting me. As I go through, um, you know, with my, I'm still on a journey, although I'm in leadership position, you always want to have someone there. Also, I have to give um, kudos to Dr. Georges. She's the chairperson at Lehman College. I taught at Lehman as a professor. She also opened a lot of doors for me, for me to enter and not have any fears and for me to be known in the nursing world. And also Sister Calesta Roy, which is a nursing theorist that, you know, I worked very closely with her and did a lot of presentations. And Dr. Wetzel, Dr. Wetzel introduced me to Colombia and she said, I will always be there for you. And I had great opportunities and I just I'm so grateful to them. So Mm -hmm. grateful to them for paving the way for me. Yeah. And allowing me to enter the enter into that playing field. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think like, you know, something I always kind of said to myself, like once I got into Columbia for graduate school, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm keeping this seat warm for like the other black girls that are from the Bronx. You know, like that's what I'm doing. Like everything that I do is like for them, because when you don't, it's so real that like you have to be able to see it to believe it. So yeah. it's like, you know, seeing you, Dr. Weir, seeing you, Dr. Jameson, that matters. And for like, especially for your little patients too, that you see, even when they see you walking by on campus in your lab coats, like that means a lot. And as my last question, I wanted to ask from your opinion, and I'll start with you, Dr. Witter, why isn't there more mentorship in the Black community? It is that of my opinion that people think it's a lot of work to mentor someone. And I do believe they attribute costs to it. They think it's it's taking too much of their time. May I say, sometimes I think people are just selfish <laughs> for not giving back. It's giving back. But I think people, again, attribute this to the costs. Like, you know, there's some costs. I, I don't have the time. I now have my family. What would we say? We have achieved so we can look back and support and um, create that vision and let another person 
also go through the process and develop and become that great leader. My greatest joy is to see one of my mentees, right? Like excel, you know, go, go, go places. I give you an example. I won't say where, but I had a COO. She was doing her DMP, doctorate in nursing practice. I was one of her staff and she called me and she said, can you mentor me? What? What? That was the greatest <laughs> joy. I was her mentor and she successfully finished her DMP. Again, talk about roles and switching roles. She is COO. I was just a director at the time. When I say just, I was a director of, the, of a program, but she sought me out to mentor her. And that was a, the greatest reward to see that a senior leadership person reaching out to me. So yeah, it's uh, like the student good. became the teacher kind of. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you, Dr. Jameson? I, I think there's a level of pressure perhaps with that. Also just being overwhelmed, maybe. I know that the statistics are the current statistics say that two percent of all physicians are black women. Right? And so I looked it up. There are, oh, there are about a million physicians in the U.S. And so of those one million physicians in the U.S., 2% of them are Black women, right? So for us to mentor an entire group of people who want to do this, there are just not that many of us, you know? The program that, that um, I have, we last summer had eight participants and are primed to have eight more participants, right? I am one of very, very few physicians of color, not in not only in my department, but just in the hospital, right? Yeah. So I'm the only one who has eight mentees under me this summer, right? And then next summer I have eight more, that's 16. And then the year after, that's 24, right? So for yeah. one person. That's a, it's a very heavy load, I think. So I don't know if I'll say this, the short answer, uh, what I believe is that I just think there are not enough of us represented yet to be able to actually take on the need. I think it's just, uh, uh, you know, mentors are a resource. And even in that space, the, the resources are limited, right? There are just not that many Black female positions yeah. of black positions for that matter to be able to to uh, demand right it's supply and demand and there's the, the supply is, it just doesn't really meet the demand of the need for the mentorship so and, and I will be honest I do agree on a point that Dr. Witter made you know after after having got through med school residency which was very difficult um and then becoming an attending for a few years, I really, I was just enjoying my life, right? It was just yeah. like, it took me so long to get here, tired, you know what yeah. I mean? I want to now enjoy the free time that I have. And so, um, like I said, I'm now five or six years out now. And so for this to be like my, my first year actually doing this type of mentorship, right? It took me five years where I just kind of felt like, I need, to, I need to take a breather. You know what I mean? Because it's it takes a lot to get to where we are. And when you finally do, there is a level of 
you know, I, I want to rest and enjoy the fruit of my labor before or I'll, I'll speak for myself. I, I think for me, there was an element of needing to just rest and really just enjoy what I worked so hard for before now feeling like, OK, I got to, you know, do something else, do something more. But I, I you know, I'm well rested. <laughs> now. I do feel, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's a space that I'm able to more effectively step into as opposed to when I first graduated or while I was in med school in residency, because it is it, it is a lot. Like Dr. Witter mentioned, a lot of times have to work twice as hard yeah. um, to have as much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, and, yes. Right. And so with that, with that dynamic going on, it is sometimes difficult, I think, to be able to do the reaching back and the thinking of others and the, the pulling forward because we're already single-handedly still really trying to pave our own way throughout all yeah. of this. So that's mm -hmm. my long answer. No, and that's why I think that we always are going to need our mentors. We're always going to need our support system throughout our whole process. And I love that you even said, like, even though I'm like five, six years out, like, you know, like you still tap into your network. And like Dr. Ritter, I love that, you know, even though you were saying like, wow, the COO is like coming to me, but it's like, you know, at any point in your career, you're always going to need somebody. So yeah. I think that that's like a really powerful sentiment to kind of like, close out our podcast is that like mentorship is needed throughout whether you're 10 years old or whether you're 50 years old you know it's always needed always important so I just want to thank you both Dr. Jameson and Dr. Witter for your time and for joining us on SBH Bronx Health Talk um, and happy Black History Month from SBH Health System to you thank you all for joining us thank you thank you so thank much you. for having us Dr. Jameson it's a pleasure I wish you all the best and we hope we can do this again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thanks. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you both. Bye. Bye, -bye.